Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. He's a full-time investor. Now he's working on a book that will simplify investing for all of us. He's former head of private wealth at Crystal AI. Swapnil Mishra is my guest this morning. We are talking about a whole plethora of really interesting topics. I can imagine, I can practically hear it, people wishing they bought Bitcoin when it hit $8,000 last week on the Binance exchange. All right, let's put that flash crash into context. Last Thursday, Bitcoin prices plunged nearly 90 percent on Binance. That's a U.S. trading platform. This a day after it had surged to a lifetime high of $67,000 and six months after its previous high. Now, this rally is said to be fueled by the debut of the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, a rally that seems to have taken a breather. Bitcoin this morning kicking off the week around $61,000, receding from all-time highs on profit-taking. Binance has blamed an algorithm bug for the crash and it said that the bug is fixed. Now, for some, it's a sobering lesson on volatility and irrationality that can hit crypto coins at any time. For others, well, let's see. Swapnil, good morning. Good morning. What do you think we can learn from the um, Bitcoin crash? Do you think it's a lesson in keeping orders and an exchange so that you can benefit? You know, if I keep orders ready in an exchange, I can take advantage of situations. So if I had an order limit, if I was in Singapore in the first place, I could use Binance US. If you had a limit order ready to go, you, it would have gotten filled during the madness. Yeah, so I think that definitely is something which a lot of people, I mean, myself included, I must say that, uh, you know, there was this, for a moment you feel, oh my God, I wish there was an order and then suddenly it would have been done. I think the learning is more for the exchange and uh, I would say regulators to some extent, right? So this is where the complication is for the Bitcoin uh, crypto platforms, where unlike the financial markets, which have also seen their share of, you know, uh, crashes, which we saw in May 2010, uh, initially blamed on algorithms, and then, of course, eventually, you know, blamed on someone else. But uh, there is a regulatory oversight, which is kind of ensuring that at least there is learning in this entire process, and you're not, uh, you're not hiding behind information which is not disclosed. So with crypto, the onus of that uh, falls entirely on the exchange. So whether Binance is putting the right things in place or not, I think Coinbase has, has, has slightly better controls that they are talking about now. So ultimately, in terms of the controls, the exchanges, exchange will have to see what's the learning in this thing and, uh, and, and kind of go through the same uh, journey as the financial markets went through of uh, adding more and more controls to uh, ultimately protect the investor. So, I mean, Bitcoin, Binance blamed the crash on an institutional trader's rogue algorithm, right? A bug yes. of, of a trader on their trading algorithm, which seems to have caused a sell-off. As, as a trader, when you hear stories like this, do you think mistaken crashes happen all the time? Uh, you know, the fat finger problem when traders mess up details of the intended trades? Or is this beyond that? The crashes happen all the time. And, 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 and an asset like Bitcoin, frankly... The correction itself looks like a crash because it, it is so volatile as, a, as an asset itself. Mm-hmm. Right? So it goes up and down 20%, looks like a crash. So crash is there. Errors happen, uh, either genuine errors or because of the wrong intent. Mm. The, the question here is whether the exchange is able to react 
using technology in terms of the speed at which these transactions are happening today. Right. Uh, and, and to kind of immediately contain the damage, ring fence the damage, so that you don't have um, a lot of people whose orders get executed. In this case, I think it was about $40 million worth, which is, which is a, it's not a big amount in the context of the crash. Uh, but imagine if it was something far more significant and it did not stop the transactions. A lot of investors may get hurt because they may have, uh, you know, like, of course, the person who buys will be very happy, but the mm. person who's got sold out is, uh, imagine getting closed out. Imagine a margin call because of that, right? I mean, that's so unfortunate. That is so sad. So essentially, if you had a, a limit order, you could have sold your coins off at 8200 right? Yeah, yeah. Or if you had a margin situation, right, where the market suddenly, your asset value has gone down, and your margin is not right. available and the asset is sold. So it's, it's uh, like, of course, there is opportunity, but it's the priority here Ooh. is protecting the uh, investor. All right. Let's move now to a, a topic that is likely to spawn a whole universe of memes. Donald Trump has a media spec. Digital World Acquisition Corp announced plans to merge with former president of the U.S. Donald Trump's planned social media platform. In response, at least two hedge funds sold off their stakes in DWAC, Digital World Acquisition Corp. The sell-off was from Lighthouse Investment Partners and Sabah Capital Management, and it came as DWAC saw a huge rise in the price of its stock. We saw the SPAC jumping more than 100%. It trades under the ticker DWAC on NASDAQ. And that ticker DWAC was e- among the most popular mentions on Reddit's Wall Street bets, which sort of indicates DWAC could be having a meme moment, a meme moment, not me moment, like GameStop and AMC did, right? So what do you think we need to know about Donald Trump's media spec? There isn't much to know because there isn't much available to know. So <laughs> I think that itself is a starting point. That <laughs> while, while we know that you know SPACs normally don't have much information, in this case, it's not even a functioning company. It's, it's not a going company. It's a. It's like a. It's like a startup. It's like you know, if I come to you today and say that, hey, I'm going to build this company which is going to disrupt the entire world. I don't even know whether it's beyond that PowerPoint presentation which is floating around. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see that as a PowerPoint presentation floating around. Hmm. Yeah, there is. So there is some presentation, I think, slides from that which are which are available, where um, it essentially tries to say that uh, this company is going to compete against everyone: Netflix, uh, Facebook, you know, Twitter. Uh, in effect, all of these players, and it doesn't get into the details of how it's going to do. Um, I think the current phenomenon is clearly uh, driven by the, the being a meme stock. I think, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. hedge funds are selling it. It makes no sense. So let's all go and buy the stock. I, I, I think that's where it is, at least as of uh, as of last week when it went crazy. Yeah, the numbers are insane. Um, and I think it's very interesting that you point out that actually there's very little that we know about it. All we can say is that this new company yet to be launched, Trump Media and Technology Group, says its mission is to create a rival to the liberal media consortium and fight back against the big tech companies of Silicon Valley um, that they say have silenced opposing voices over in America. So we know that he's been banned by Twitter, Facebook, um, and, you know, it looks like his attempt to to rally 
power of the retail investor may be behind him as well. Uh, before people jump on the SPAC rally mm-hmm. and yeah. look for DWACW, what do they know about being able to get out of, of a SPAC if they realize down the road, hey, this is all this is all talk. Actually, getting out uh, from the SPAC itself is quite straightforward. You mm-hmm. can just buy at any point of time. I mean, we saw that in case of Grab also, right? When Grab announced the... <clears throat> the arrangement with Altimeter Growth, mm. uh, there was a pop, right? The stock went up all the way to 15, I think 15, 16. And it's now come back to $10. I think it's around 10 or 11. So people have, you know, kind of, some people bought into it. Some people eventually said, oh, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not excited anymore. So getting in and out, it's fairly uh, straightforward. The challenge becomes if you are a buyer into the rally <clears throat> and then the market kind of completely cools off. So uh, the, the, the rallies in these uh, stocks can be fairly uh, sharp and short-lived. And that makes it uh, very tricky because you don't want to be on the wrong side of that trade. You're not doing it because you're buying a company like, let's say, Amazon, which you, even if you buy at 3500 you have certain, uh, you know, a value metric to it. Over here, it's, it's the story. It is the excitement. It's not necessarily uh, the business that they are running right now and that's the challenge so getting out becomes not from a from a execution point of view but rather from a price point of view uh, you need to be very alert when you're dealing with these, these stocks but you know very few specs also have a former u.s president behind them right and yeah. social media stocks seem to be about whether or not the story is relatable so this theme of distrust of certain sources of news um doesn't seem like it's going to go away and I suppose this is also a question of, you know, how influential is Trump with his followers? Absolutely. I think that is the biggest question over here. Because if there is this perceived influence, this will be the first, I don't know whether it will be, but if you call it a right-wing media, this will be the first one which will have a such a strong institutional and a brand associated with it, which means it will definitely get the eyeballs. Now, whether it will translate into vote, I'm sure even for uh, the Republican uh, Party, uh, you know, the rest of the people, there will be this question as to whether 2024, is he going to be a threat or, uh, you know, how do you handle this? Because suddenly he'll have access to his, I'm hoping, you know, let's say the 100 million Twitter followers transfer over here, then that's, that's a meaningful uh, number. Uh, and then and, and it, it, it can definitely uh, become a nuisance just because of its sheer size. So, so yeah, I completely agree. It can't be just uh, ignored. It will be here and we have to handle, I mean, people will have to acknowledge. And we'll probably have to talk about DWAC for a while, Swapnil, you and I. They peaked at $150, last done $94.20. So staggering. At its peak of 175 on Friday, it was 1,657% above its closing price on Wednesday. All right, let's move now to investment options. Now, we're always on the lookout for better investment options, right? And we know that ESG factors can help companies find um, some of those options. So when it comes to investing for impact, it's very trendy now, this whole idea of sustainable investing. Let's unpack that a little. Yi Mei Li is CEO of China Asset Management and she says sustainable investing is no different from conventional value investing. Both focus on long-term returns. Is there a difference, Swapnil? I think fundamentally this question, the, the, the statement is correct. And I think it's also in the context where it is today that it is correct. So 
if you see from the perspective of the basic, the bare minimum that a company needs to do, uh, let's say 20 years back, you could have suppliers to your t-shirt manufacturing factory, which you may have in, let's say, you know, one of the emerging market countries where they had very poor uh, fire safety regulations or they employed child labor. And you could source t-shirts from there and you could sell those t-shirts and they would be incredibly cheap and extremely profitable. And you could kind of, you know, sustain your business doing that. In today's environment, it is not possible to do that because the backlash from doing that will be so severe that your customers won't like you, your stakeholders won't like you, um, activists won't like you. And so your business will actually suffer if you make uh, low cost t-shirts uh, by sourcing them you know, in, in ways which are uh, not appropriate. And that means that if you want to make a successful business, you need to be doing it the right way. So, which is why the, the ESG principles and value investing are kind of merging and they are becoming the bare minimum. It's like this is, you have to absolutely ensure that you're not blatantly, you know, uh, polluting the river where your you know, factories or where, where your uh, businesses. So I think hence the statement is correct. It is merging. And you can also see in the context that how uh, I think 96% of the top, uh, you know, 500 companies uh, are uh, giving ESG rating and uh, they're giving ESG reports. So they are, they are kind of, they're coming forward and saying that, okay, let me disclose this information because disclosure is the first step in the direction of weaving sustainability into the uh, business itself. And the minute that happens, you're creating a full you know, positive uh, uh, energy around the company, which translates into value and hence value investing and, and, and higher probability of success for that uh, company or business. Makes a lot of sense, Swapnil. Uh, as an investor, though, and I'm only dealing with public sources of information, how can I tell when ESG is just being used as, uh, you know, that trendy catch-all? How can I go beyond that? So as an investor, it is, it's difficult. I think the couple of indicators that investors can do. Okay. So greenwashing is something which is, uh, which is, a, which is a problem. And, and I don't think we can eliminate greenwashing as a, as a problem. So hmm. people will have fancy sustainability reports which will contradict the actual business model, right? Exactly. So a lot of the, uh, if you see, for example, Adani is a, is a classic example, right? When Adani group talks about sustainability, it just seems like a contradiction. They are into mining coal in a large manner in Australia. Now, when you're mining coal and you're running coal-based plants, and then you're talking about sustainability, the two don't add up, but okay, the company is making promises. They are, you know, they're coming out with, uh, you know, bond issuances, uh, green bonds. So, I think the distinction that can be made is one by uh, seeing the kind of uh, ESG disclosures that are made in the investor calls. I think these days there's a there's a prominent space given to disclosure of um, uh, ESG uh, parameters. That's one. Second is by looking at how the board members are commenting on this, because these days a lot of activists are also, you know, climate change activists are able to get both seats and they are able to actually influence the way the company is thinking about their growth. So if it's an energy company, if it's, you know, if it's uh, uh, com companies which have oil company traditionally, which have been associated with a, uh, a kind of being too far away from being ESG compliant, they are getting the right guidance. So the kind of people on the board and how they are influencing is another indicator which investors can use to kind of separate the, uh, the greenwashing or just fancy reports into actual 
uh, ESG uh, compliance. And of course, the third is the uh, consumers themselves, because these days, uh, all the information is kind of available. You, you, you know, if you're, if you're sourcing coffee beans, uh, mm-hmm. you ha- people are disclosing the name of the uh, plantation from which that coffee is being sourced. That's the level of transparency we are talking about today. Mm. So um, you can you can you can read up all of this information. It's available, uh, and I think yeah. So investors can. Uh, uh, sorry, this is a topic which is very close to my heart. I so. can tell, Swapnil. <laughs> I can see the beads of sweat forming on your forehead. No, it's no sweat for you. But uh, thank you. The, go- the world is going green, so you know we're we're interested in this as well. And whether it's recycling or power generation or organic groceries, I, I don't know if you've spotted some companies that, stocks that are worth watching. I think the ESG. Uh, you know, wherever you are able to get the ESG factor. There are ESG-focused ETFs as well, which are there. So I think that uh, is, is is a good way to capture some of these uh, uh, companies uh, specifically. Then, of course, there are sectors that people want to stay away from, right? So you steer clear of uh, anything which has to do with uh, coal, nuclear energy, these kind of businesses which fundamentally have been uh, associated with not being the at the forefront of uh, ESG compliance. Uh, then, of course, there's the governance aspect, right? So companies which have, like how many women in the board, uh, uh, women members in the board mm-hmm. is an indicator, right, of of whether there is uh, inclusion or not. So that Not telling me inclusion. about companies yet, Swapnil. I'm waiting for the companies. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, are we looking ETFs. at <laughs> ETFs? Okay, no problem. I mean, yeah. there are lots of ETFs that deal with, um, I don't know, pollution control, for example, right? Yes. Um, so that's one area, uh, or wind power or solar energy. Yeah. What, what what are you looking at? What interests you? So solar is something which I definitely like because alternate uh, this uh, renewable energy is something which is going to be the focus for everyone. You see, Walmart, for example, has promised that they'll be entirely using renewable energy, you know, by 2030, if I'm not wrong. So that's something which is uh, is something that's uh, solar energy, alternative energy. Uh, is definitely a sector. Uh, Vanguard, I think, has an ESG ETF specifically targeted for that. Uh, mm. I like that ETF, which is uh, kind of going and identifying businesses across uh, industries. Vanguard has a solar basis. ETF, something like that? Yeah. Okay. They have a solar ETF. They have an ESG-focused ETF as well. Hmm. All right. We'll check those out. I want to give you last word on this topic. Anything else you want to talk about when it comes to sustainable investing? Uh, I would say it starts with disclosure and then it moves on to having goals. It's it's uh, a kind of similar to the way it happens for uh, diversity for us. as well. As, no, it also has happens for us as individuals, right? Oh. It's like you you stop smoking first and then you set your fitness goal. So the first step that needs to do is you stop and then you set the goal. And I think that's what <laughs> companies are doing. So, oh, yeah. I can tell you, I tracked Everest Base Camp and uh, you could see people that. Top of the, you know, heading to the summit, stopping for a smoke, <laughs> which is not a great idea. But oh my, my point is that I think sometimes you got to be easy yourself on your way to reaching your goal. Should you fall, you can pick up and start again. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that note, Swapnil, thank you very much. Swapnil Mishra, part of the investment world for two decades, full-time investor. He's working hard on his book that will make investing easy for all of us. Swapnil, what's on your playlist that mirrors the markets? Actually, I have a song which kind of cuts across all of the topics that we spoke about today, uh, which is uh, Gravity by John Mayer. 
I don't know if you've, if you've heard. I love that song. I heard it live. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, nice. So, yeah. That's, that's lucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting because stocks, Bitcoin, everything is at levels which are defying gravity. Uh, a Bitcoin crash is like gravity suddenly waking up and bringing it down to earth. And uh, gravity is also a kind of a natural force. So in a way linked to uh, sustainability and, and climate change. So yeah, so gravity is what I thought of. <laughs> I love it. That's great. It's a great song. I wish I had it to play for you. Gravity by John. <laughs> What's up, Neil? Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.